0: Last spring, you chose hard-working seed, but did it work as hard as you did? At NK Seeds, we know that all the time, all the effort, comes down to this. All that matters now is yield and how the seed perform on your acre. Because you can't fake performance, and bushels don't lie. Local results coming soon. Visit nkseeds.com slash harvest. At Firehouse Subs, a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders. We make our subs differently because our subs can make a difference every day. That's why we're bringing back our daily medium sub special. Enjoy a different handcrafted medium sub at a special price for every day of the week. From Meatball Monday to Italian Sunday. Get it for a limited time, only at Firehouse Subs. Tap the banner now to start your pickup order. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime that you know and love as your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we're going to talk a little bit here before we dive into the main meat and potatoes of our podcast today about Justin Simmons, who—and we referenced this on a previous pod in the week— talking about how he was one of only three players, or was it four, in the NFL last year to play at least 20% of his team's snaps at the nickel corner, free safety, and box safety. Only three other players accomplished that feat. So that's pretty,
1: pretty crazy if you think about it. It's pretty impressive. And when you consider the the rarefied air that he's in, I believe Tyron Matthew was a number one uh, among those in that list. And that's good company for Justin Simmons to be in. I mean, if he he's just not even entering his prime chat. he's still uh, developing and he's still coming along in his own in his own right. And he's already being that versatile in the secondary. and he's already showing that much. I just, I salivate over what he can do under Vic Fangio. I really do. Just being stuck to one position, one set of responsibilities for the most part is safety and let him blossom, let him make plays. I do believe this is the year where he takes that next step and becomes a little more of a household name.
0: Yeah, so for what it's worth, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Next Gen Stats is the one who produced this research. And they said that Teron Matthew, he played 31% of his team's snaps in the corner uh, or in the slot corner position, 44% at deep, safes, deep safety and then 23% at box, uh, linebacker, so, you know, dimebacker. Justin Simmons checked in third with playing 24% of his team snaps as a slot corner, 46% as the deep safety, 23% also as the dimebacker. Only Malcolm Jenkins is between them, and then Vaughn Bell of the Saints is behind him, only those four players. So very interesting to see, and also, of course, is the fact that Justin Simmons was one of only three players in the NFL defenders, I should say, last year to play 100% of his team's defensive snaps. So it kind of begs the question, and this came out on social media because I published an article highlighting this statistic that Next Gen Stats put out. It triggered a question on social media that is basically because I'm saying, hey, look, with Vic Fangio arriving, the stars are aligning, he's entering a contract year, Justin Simmons, like, you know, there's a good chance this guy's going to really take off at the most fortuitous and opportune time. And we received a question on Twitter from uh, Chef M at Chef M Baldwin, listener to the show, great member of of the Mile High Huddle community. He says, why doesn't John Elway just get an extension done now, Zach, before the Justin Simmons price goes way up? So do you think that's valid? Do you think he's done enough to justify an early extension? And do you think that would be smart for the Broncos? I do like
1: the thinking, though. I like the question. I like how it's posed. You always want to lock up a player a year too early rather than a year too late, kind of save some value. I just don't think that Simmons is there yet where you can just dole out a check and you're paying for potential, but it's untapped potential right now. You don't know what you're going to get in him. You think you can get a pro bowler, but he's been on that cusp. He still has some weaknesses in his game, and you think... That Fangio can bring those those strengths out of him, but you don't know for sure. If he was a little more further along, if he was a little more decorated, I would spring the cash for him right now. But I think they're doing the wise thing, letting that play out. Um, if there's one guy on defense that I think they should extend early, it's Shelby Harris. I think he's on a one-year deal again this year. He's motivated, and he's going to get he's going to have a good season, I believe. So I think he's a little more accomplished than a guy like Justin Simmons. I, I wouldn't believe you know writing him a check for what you can get you know next March.
0: I think. The Denver Broncos. This is a bold prediction on my part, but I think the Broncos are going. They're going to wait and see how he does early on in the season with Vic Fangio. If he's playing up to snuff, I think you're going to see them try to get Justin Simmons extended in season. It's happened before. It's rare for John Elway to try and re-sign a player in season instead of waiting, instead of either doing it way before or doing it during the free agent period. But he's has a precedent, which includes Derek Wolfe and it includes Chris Harris back in the day. So it would not surprise me to see that happen. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me to see him do it this summer. That's another time, and we talked about this back when there were some issues going on with Chris Harris holding out from OTAs, that John Elway also has a track record of signing, you know, prospective free agents, guys that are unhappy, getting that business done, in other words, in July. So it wouldn't surprise me there either. I do think that Justin Simmons is a young core player that the Broncos would be wise to get him locked up now. Because even if he never, Zach, goes on to reach these, you know, the, the hype that there has existed in the past for Justin Simmons of being this Pro Bowl player, you know, even if he doesn't become the next Eddie Jackson in Chicago, he is a very valuable, talented key cog and a core player on this team that also represents a former third-round pick. So just on that value alone, he's a, he's now two consecutive years as a full-time starter I think the Broncos would be wise to try and get something done. The question is, why wouldn't John Elway, in my mind, move ahead and try and get something done early, as Chef says, before the price goes way up?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Broncos definitely want to pay him. They want to extend him. They want to have him for the long term. I just... I don't think the production is there, Chad. I just think there's too many holes in his game to this point that that hold Elway back, and he wants to see how Kareem Jackson's going to play at safety. He wants to see how this secondary is going to unfold with Fangio and Donatel. There's so many moving parts and so many free agents next year. I don't think he can prioritize one before the other, especially with Chris Harris, also a free agent in that secondary. You know, Simmons isn't the only high-profile, unsigned player heading into the offseason, so Elway really wants to see who his biggest priorities are and who deserves the contract. If Simmons plays up to potential, yeah, it's a no-brainer. But for now, I just think he hasn't done enough to warrant that. And for what it's worth, just to take that uh, myopic
0: view on his game, Justin Simmons, when he is allowed to just play free safety and roam and cover sideline to sideline, he is a great player. But even though he has shown versatility and at least a capacity to drop down into the box and play some slot... I can live with him playing in the slot. I really can't. But as a box safety, as a dimebacker, he misses way too many tackles. I, I just think that's not his strong suit. And I think also that's something that Vic Fangio is going to be able to recognize and scheme him and coach him into the best possible position to succeed. And it's one thing I've written many times since, you know, the offseason being in the middle of all this is that, you know, because the Broncos asked him to do so much in the secondary last year, slot corner, box safety, free safety, he kind of became a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. He wasn't able to focus on one individual single craft like the vast majority of his teammates and master that, in a sense. So he's, he's still kind of trying to catch up to what his actual potential is and where he should be going into his fourth year. So that's why I'm optimistic Vic Fangio can quash all that and say, look, we're not screwing around. We've got the talent around you. You know, let's just focus on what you do best, put you in that position and let you go out and rock. Because Eddie Jackson last year, the Bears' true free safety, I mean, he was a pro bowler and a first-team all-pro. He had, like, six interceptions. He defensed, like, 15 passes. Took, you know, I think he, I'm just going off the top of my head doing the research from that article, forced a couple of fumbles, recovered a fumble. I mean, the dude was constantly around the ball. And if you looked at their tackle numbers, Zach, here's where it gets interesting. He had less than half of the tackle numbers that Justin Simmons did because – A, so many players were getting into the secondary with the ball, and B, Justin Simmons was oftentimes when he had to play slot or he had to play, you know, dimebacker on the wrong end or the losing end of a completed pass where he then has to wrap up and make the tackle. He was second on the team, Zach, with 97 tackles last year.
1: Yeah, you know, Fangio also turned Adrian Amos into a household name, into a star. So that's why I agree with you. It's well put what you said. I want Simmons to stay at one position, safety, and I don't have to put too much on his plate like the coaching staff did last year. Don't make him think. Just let him play. Let him use that pure athletic ability, and I think he can thrive. There are still holes in his game. He he takes bad angles in pass coverage and run support. He does miss some tackles, but he's a ball hawk. He has the instincts. He has the frame and the, the physical ability. And with competent coaching now, if they leave him at one spot, I think he could thrive. So if I agree with your premise, though. If he starts off the season strong, gets a couple interceptions, makes some plays, yeah, he could be a candidate for an in-season extension. But to, as of right now, I just don't think – the potential it just warrants, you know, another check for him.
0: We will see how it shakes out for Justin Simmons, who is also a brand new father. So we'll see what uh, how that affects his play, possibly in a positive way. Also, Derek Wolf just had his baby, so very interesting. Couple of new dads in uh, the locker room for the Broncos heading into training camp. Now we do have some other topics we want to dive into today, including addressing the the three biggest questions that. The Denver Broncos' three divisional foes, the Kansas City Chiefs, L.A. Chargers, Oakland Raiders, have to answer this year. It was an article published by Bob Morris last week. We're going to dive into that here in just a second. First, though, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. That's the best way for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a creative review. Let us know how we're doing there. And those of you on YouTube, you're doing a great job. Just keep doing what you're doing. All right, Zach. So, again, this is an article published by Bob last week. It was great. What He actually went through the entire schedule. Three questions each Broncos opponent will have to answer in 2019. Very long form, deep dive, excellent read, especially for our VIP subscribers who come to milehighhuddle.com to read that kind of content. We're not going to go through each and every opponent here on today's podcast. What we're going to do, though, is narrow our focus on the AFC West because As we've talked about on a couple of the recent pods here, we're kind of gearing up for our Know Your Enemy period of the podcast on the doorstep of the preseason, the doorstep of the regular season. So what better way to kind of prime those gears than by addressing these questions that Bob laid out? Now, the first one here will focus on the biggest threat, obviously, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs, who won the division last year, got to the AFC Championship game. Bob's number one question that he thinks the Chiefs have to answer this year, Zach, is can Patrick Mahomes repeat his dominant performance?
1: Oh, man, that's the question of the season for the Broncos and for the Chiefs and for the entire NFL. I, I don't see how that's possible. I just don't see how it's, it's feasibly realistic for him to duplicate what he did last year partly because he took the NFL by storm, Chad, and now the NFL has an entire season of tape left on him, and they can use that to their advantage, and they will. He'll come back down to earth, I think, just a little bit. He's still going to be just a dynamic, explosive, game-changing player. He's going to give the NFL problems and fits for years to come, and the Broncos. I think he'll come a little bit down to earth. I think Andy Reid will scheme around that once teams start to catch up. They may lean on the running game more, uh, may do some other things on offense, so we'll have to see what happens with them. But I don't see any way how he duplicates what he did last year.
0: I am in perfect agreement. I think he's going to be a perennial stud, pro bowler, slash all pro, slash, you know, in the conversation, preseason odds for MVP. He's going to be that guy, unfortunately, for Broncos fans. But I don't think that season he had last year is going to be par for the course. I think that, you know, it's an outlier. It was a phenomenal season. It's an MVP season. He was very deserving of the honor. I think this year he'll take a slight step back in terms of just his statistical production. He's still going to be very good. The Chiefs are still going to win a lot of games. I just don't think he's going to go 50 touchdowns and, and all that again. So next question here Bob has for the Chiefs. Do the Chiefs have a cornerback for this defense? And let me just read what he said. Football outsiders in its four downs for the AFC West noted that the Chiefs don't have a cornerback that fits new defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo's scheme. At this point, the Chiefs are looking at starting Bashad Breeland and Kendall Fuller with Charvarius Ward and Tremont Smith as the top backups. Now, you look at what they're dealing with in the AFC West. You got Phillip Rivers and his talented receiving core there. Also, the underrated, I think, fans in, in I should say, media, national media, are kind of sleeping on how good the Broncos' wideout core is this year. And then also the, the Raiders, you know, you never know what's going to happen with Derek Carr. So what do you think? Does Casey have a cornerback for this defense?
1: I, I don't. The, the, based on their starters right now, on paper, it's very uninspiring, and it sounds like this defense is going to struggle against the pass again this year, and they're going to rely on just putting up more points than their opponents. Um, I was a fan of the Chiefs. I thought they made a good move in firing Bob Sutton, but I wasn't crazy about Spagnolo. I just think it's a lateral move for them, and, and, and as a because you know, someone who covers the Broncos doesn't scare me at all. So this defense is still a ways away from being. Um, you know, um, a thorn on the side to the Broncos offense or to the entire NFL. They have a good front seven or some pieces there, but that secondary is just still uh, very, uh, very much uninspiring. Yeah.
0: It's kind of, it's, it's kind of the, the safety duo is, is formidable because now you have Honey Badger and you have Juan Thornhill back there, but the corners, I agree. It's not that they suck. They don't, but they're just, you know, they're kind of lackluster. And for what it's worth, Spagnolo You know, he coordinated a phenomenal defense in 2011 that that beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and he's got that ring for the Giants. But he really needs the right personnel in order for his scheme to flourish, in my opinion. He's had a lot of struggles since that. You know, he went on to become a head coach because of that achievement in the Super Bowl, but it's never really all come together for him. And I don't, I'm not sure, especially with letting Justin Houston go and. D Ford, D Ford as well. That's right. I'm I'm just not sure they have the the personnel to right out of the gates in 2019, you know, go back to being the all of a sudden the 2011 um, New York Giants. So we'll see. Now here's the third one, Zach. Can the Chiefs' defense keep opponents from moving the chains? And here's what what Bob said quote While the Chiefs' defense got 28 and a half sacks from Chris Jones and D Ford combined in 2018, and should be able to replace Ford's production after acquiring Frank Clark. I forgot about that. The Chiefs were ranked 31st in yards per game allowed. Rushing the quarterback is important, but it's not enough by itself. Good defenses get it done in coverage and run defense too. So, ostensibly, Zach, they have a decent one-two punch as far as getting after the quarterback because Chris Jones is a beast. But he's an interior rusher. Frank Clark, he's more of an edge guy. What do you think, from a pass rush perspective, does that scare you if you're Joe Flacco on the Broncos?
1: I don't know about you, but I thought D. Ford was a better pass rusher than Frank Clark. I think Clark is a little bit better in run support, but Ford, to me, was better at getting after the quarterback. And paired with Justin Houston and Chris Jones, uh, that was pretty scary. On its face, they have the tools to get after Flacco, but um, you know, if they block the interior with their improved. Um, interior linemen and, and their coaching, and I think they can put a, a double on Bowles and, and the outside blockers. They can keep Flacco upright. I'm not too scared of the Chiefs' pass rush. I thought they made kind of a mistake getting rid of uh, D Ford, and they kind of made a lateral move there. So um, I don't, I'm not too scared.
0: I just don't understand how that front office and coaching staff can feel comfortable allowing both D Ford and Justin Houston right. to yeah. hit the bricks. And nothing against Freight Clark because he is a very good player. He's got some volatility to him with his off the field kind of life, but they are two different players. Frank Clark is very much a kind of power rusher off the edge, as opposed to D Ford being that twitchy bendy, you know, quick get off type of guy. So they both, you know, if they were rushing together, they'd be a great compliment to each other. Kinda of like Bradley Chubb, kinda of like Von Miller are. You know, Von Miller's more of a twitch guy, bendy guy off the get off, you know, the line of scrimmage. Whereas Bradley Chubb, he's more of a power guy. So, but D Ford, he doesn't factor into this. So it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, that's going to be an issue. Can the can the, the Chiefs, I should say, stop opponents from moving the chains? Can they get after the quarterback? We'll see how that shakes out. Now let's move on, Zach, here to the LA Chargers. Bob says, question number one, how much does Phillip Rivers Have left in the tank. And he goes on to say here that if you look at the quarterback class of 2004, you can see that Eli Manning is at the end of the road, while Ben Roethlisberger is showing signs of decline. Philip Rivers is a better quarterback than Eli, even if Eli has two Super Bowl rings, while Rivers has none. And he hasn't been banged up like Roethlisberger in recent seasons. But Rivers is 37, Zach, and there's no telling when that decline will set in. So that, to close quote there on Bob, he's right. You never know when father time suddenly is just going to kick your legs out from underneath you, kind of like you saw happen with Peyton in 2015, and everyone's still waiting on bated breath for it to happen to Tom Brady. But what do you think? What version of Phillip Rivers do you think we're going to get this year? Well, you know, it
1: happened to Peyton because he had that neck injury and, and the subsequent surgeries from that. Philip Rivers has been mostly unharmed throughout his career, especially in recent years. With his quick release, he just avoids injury, and that's why he has such great longevity. I don't see him taking a step back, honestly. He's still going to be a great quarterback. He's a very, in my opinion, underrated quarterback. He doesn't get a lot of love, even though he's consistently consistent every single year. Um, he's still going to put up numbers this year. And, and As long as he avoids a— an Achilles injury or ACL injury, I think he can go well into his late, late 30s, early 40s. He just has no signs of slowing down yet. I agree.
0: We just haven't seen any signs of it quite yet. He's still the firebrand emotionally, and his arm just doesn't seem yet to have slowed down in terms of putting mustard on that sucker. So, But it is a question, and it is something that I'm sure nags at the Chargers because he is 37 years old. And Father Time remains undefeated, even though Tom Brady probably sold his soul to the football devil out there somewhere. (laughs) Phillip Rivers, at some point, the music's going to stop. Will it be 2019? Will it be 2020? It remains to be seen. Now, question number two, Zach, how good is L.A.'s interior offensive line? Here's what Bob says. The Chargers have had issues at offensive guard for several seasons. They drafted Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney in 2017, thinking they had the players to help. But Lamp missed all of 2017 with a torn ACL and appeared in only two games last season. Meanwhile, after showing promise in 2017 as a rookie, Feeney regressed a lot last season. Currently, former Bronco Michael Schofield is listed as the starting right guard uh, ahead of Lamp. Schofield has been inconsistent with pass pro throughout his career, which we all know. So that's not good news for Rivers, Bob says, who doesn't need to be running away from interior pressure at his age. So that's a good point because it ties in kind of to the age and a lack of mobility interior O line wherewithal is going to be an issue for them.
1: It is, but Schofield kind of leveled out there a little bit. He's not a great all pro type player, but at least he's a consistent starter. He's a lot like a Connor McGovern for them. So uh, they can get by with him and Forrest lamp. I was big on him in the 2017 draft. I wanted him in the in the middle rounds for the Broncos, and he, you know he did have that injury. But once he gets healthy and stays healthy, I think he'll be a starting caliber player for them too, no doubt. For every NFL team, the O line for their quarterback is always a priority; it's always a, a big concern. But if they can find a way to scheme around that, maybe use Melvin Gordon uh, in pass protection, uh, and maybe do some things that move rivers, rivers away from the pass rush, they can avoid that problem.
0: All right, last question here on the Chargers. Will special teams be an issue again? To quote Bobby, says last season the Chargers were one of the lowest rated special teams units, according to Football Outsiders. The Chargers ranked 25th overall. They went through three different punters last season, none of which are back with the team. They have Ty Long and Tyler Newsome competing for the punting job, and neither one has played in an NFL regular season game. Sturgis was originally the Chargers' place kicker, But he struggled to hit anything longer than 40 yards. Caleb Sturgis missed six extra points. Wow. Michael Badgley replaced him and fared much better. But while the kicking game shouldn't be an issue, Bob says, the Chargers need an effective punter. We've seen the Broncos... You know, uh, benefit from the Chargers' issues over the years in special teams. I mean, that first, the first game of the 2017 season, uh, I believe, was that the blocked, the blocked uh, point or extra? No, the blocked field goal at the end. That was the Vance Joseph is having the time of his life game, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, that was
0: week one, Monday
1: night, Shelby Harris. That's important. We'll see how that third phase shakes out for them. Yeah, and you know, going back even to Nate Cading, the, the Chargers have had problems with their special teamers, so it's, it's, that's one area where I think is always going to be like a, a bane of contention for them and Achilles heel, you know, their specialists, and that can prove to the Broncos' advantage this year if it keeps up.
0: All right, we're going to tackle the mysterious Oakland Raiders. Are they a team on the come? Are they a team still yet to find the bottom in terms of sinking? We'll answer that. We'll tackle that here when we come back. We've got to take a quick break. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach. We turn to the Oakland Raiders. Question number one here from Bob is, will Derek Carr ever be the answer? To quote Bob, he says, Derek hasn't been the type of quarterback who is willing to stretch the field. It's not simply a matter of talent. It's a matter of his own decision-making. Maybe easy to say that Carr didn't have a receiver who could stretch the field, except that he did have one in Amari Cooper. Now the Raiders acquired Antonio Brown, who can also stretch the field, but will Carr ever be willing to get Brown the ball when Brown gets open downfield? Or will he remain conservative, opt for the shorter throws, which doesn't really play to Brown's strengths? What do you think?
1: They are gonna. They have to find a way to get Brown the ball. He's their playmaker. He was their marquee pickup, and he's Derek Carr's new best friend now. I would be surprised if John Gruden doesn't make Brown the centerpiece and move uh, the offense in his direction and get the ball down the field. If they take those short shots, those middle crossers, it's going to piss Brown off, and we saw what happened. He can muscle his way out of a team, and that's the last thing that Gruden wants to deal with right now with the Raiders franchise, moving to Las Vegas and trying to sell the fan base on that. So they're going to cater this offense to Antonio Brown, I would be surprised if the ball's not in his hands more often than not. That's one thing that really
0: surprised me about the draft they had. And they, they, with Mike Mayock and and John Gruden, they said they were going for character guys. They're trying to change the culture in the locker room. And yet, in free agency, which preceded the NFL draft, you know, they, they acquire Brown via trade, who is very much a cancerous type of guy. Like, he's pretty much a whack job. Very good player, you know, one of the greatest wide receivers of of this era of football. But he's kind of a whack job, and you have to wonder at this point, he came into the league the same year and in the same draft as Emmanuel Sanders, 2010. You have to wonder in his case when the wheels are going to fall off and how much he might, you know, Derek Carr's kind of been a temperamental quarterback between the years in terms of his confidence. You know, everything seemed to be going well for him those first three years made some pro bowls, got his team to the playoffs for the first time since 2003 before then he suffered that injury, then he got back to health in 2016 or 2017, broke his back against the Broncos <laughs> and he's never really been the same player and he's there's been a lot of different reports and buzz and rumors about, you know, tearing up at weird times, um, you know, being paranoid about what other people think and just weird weird emotional mental things and i have to wonder how much antonio brown coming in is that just wild card might affect their car who knows it might be exactly what he needs or it might be the thing that really makes the oakland raiders go we got to find a different quarterback
1: Well, the thing about Brown, it just goes to show that you can't believe a word of what GMs and coaches say, especially in February at the Combine. We were there for that chat with the the Mayock press conference, and I firmly believe that they had a shot at Kyler Murray – Derek Carr wouldn't be at the quarterback right now. I mean, they, they want to make some moves here, and Gruden wants his own guys. He has no loyalty to Derek Carr, and as soon as he can move on from him, he will. I, I do believe that. But in terms of the Brown trade, a character went out the window. He wants to win ball games. He had a year last year which he demolished the entire team, the Khalil Mack trade. They became the joke of the NFL, but he had a plan. His plan is to put some butts in seats before they move to Vegas, and he believes Antonio Brown can do that. I don't know though how it's going to mix with Derek Carr, who's a very uh, religious guy, a very low-key guy, and Brown strikes me as the antithesis of that. How they mesh and winning cures all though. If it works, it's great. If it falls apart though, if they lose, it's going to be really, really bad, really, really fast.
0: And that's the thing, you know, winning does cure all, and he's won a lot of games, Brown, as a Pittsburgh Steeler, and yet, and then he's made a lot of money, and he's played with a future Hall of Fame quarterback, and it wasn't enough. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Question number two. Can Tom Cable prove himself as an offensive line coach? Here's what Bob says. There's plenty of talent on the Raiders O-line. Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson, and Trent Brown have all proven to be quality starters. You would think the O-line is going to be a strength, but Tom Cable is the elephant in the room. He has much to prove after not getting much done as an O-line coach of the Seattle Seahawks. True, Cable didn't have a lot of talent to work with there. But you'd think he'd be able to take ordinary linemen and make them look good. But it didn't always happen. Cable has more talent to work with now, but he must prove that he can maximize the talent through his coaching. So on the surface, absolutely, it looks like the the Raiders once again have some at least respectable talent on the O-line. Question is, can Tom Cable put it all together, keep Derek Carr upright,
1: keep that confidence up on the young quarterback. I do like what the Raiders did bringing in uh, Trent Brown, though. Uh, they they, had, they overpaid for him dearly, but they, they got a good player, and he will solidify that line for him. And like uh, it was mentioned, they do have some players there, and Cable, he's not a Mike Munchak type of coach. He doesn't have that reverence, but he's still good in his own right. And if he can, like you said, if he can keep Derek Carr upright and this offense can make the team go— they can be competitive. They can be annoying for the for the Broncos and the rest of the NFL. I don't know about playoffs, but there's some pieces in place for that Oakland offense to be fairly explosive this year.
0: they got to get that rookie first-round running back signed, and they might have a, a good running game All right. out yeah. of Alabama. We'll see how it shakes out. All right, last question here for the Raiders, and then we're going to get out of here for today. Will the Raiders' defense get better? Here's what Bob says. Trading away Khalil Mack dealt a huge blow to the Raiders' defense last season. They ranked 25th in yards allowed per game, and no player got more than four sacks. Ouch. The Raiders made several free agent acquisitions, notably signing Jonathan Hankins and former Bronco Brandon Marshall, and drafting Clellan Farrell, the most notable, to upgrade the unit. So there's some hope for improvement if you're a Raiders fan. However, defensive coordinator Paul Gunther has never proven himself to be among the better DCs in the NFL. He'll have to find a way to get a pass rush going, otherwise it could be another disappointing year for the Raiders. I'll slightly pick a bone here with Bob. Paul Gunther coordinated some pretty good defenses at times there in Cincinnati. Now, granted, you had Marvin Lewis as the head coach kind of overseeing things. So, you know, it's kind of like in this case, is it going to be a Vic Fangio defense? If it's kick's butt, is Ed Donatel going to get any credit? Except the difference is Paul Gunther called his own place as a defensive coordinator there in Cincinnati. But the point still remains. After the Khalil Mack, fallacy, crazy, weird situation that happened last summer. This defense has been a huge Achilles heel for the Raiders. What do you think of their their prospects in 2019?
1: You know, I don't know how many people realize this. They kind of have a sneaky good uh, line there. They have Maurice Hurst who is an injury-prone player coming out of the draft last year, but tremendous upside. Hankins, Farrell, and they have Arden Key along the defensive line. If that potential all pays off at once, that's a pretty formidable group there. They have Tahir Whitehead. They did sign Brandon Marshall, and as we know, Chad, as a two-down player, when healthy, he's pretty effective. So that wasn't a bad pickup for them. They drafted Jonathan Abram. They have Lamarcus Joyner, Garyon Conley. They're not an, an all-world defense. They're not going to be confused with the t- 2,000 Ravens. But they have some pieces in place where, again, if the coaching can make up for the uh, the talent deficit in certain areas, they can be formidable. This is a team, the Raiders, that are going to be better than they were last year. On the field and in their record. How much better? I don't know. But they're going to definitely compete in this division. And if the Broncos think that they're going to ro- just roll right over them, they're sorely, sorely mistaken. And starting week one, they can find that out.
0: I was really puzzled by the Clellan farrell pick. Because there were so many other, I think, more attractive edge rushers available there. And they went with the big power guy who you listen to Mayock, you listen to Gruden. They say it's because of, you know, not only his, his natural ability, but his intangibles, his football character, his football IQ, great for the locker room and all that. That's a weird pick. I think that, you know, if he hits all of his marks, I think he could be an 8-10 to 10 sack a year guy for the, for the Raiders. But Jonathan Abram. Man, after the, the Raiders missed on a couple of safeties they've taken over the years, high in the draft, the kid from Connecticut, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head. Ob. Uh, there you go. That's right. And uh, then who's the other kid from West Virginia? I'm blanking on his name now, too. Um. Uh, it, anyway, fans, you can look it up. But they've invested in the position quite high in the last five years. Both of them have busted out, okay? Jonathan Abram, though, the kid from Mississippi State, who they got this year, 27th pick in the first round, one of their 29 first-round picks they got for giving up Khalil Mack, this kid is a stud. Like, this guy, yeah. to me, is kind of a, a carbon copy of T.J. Ward. That's how good this Jonathan Abram is. He could even be better than T.J. Ward was in his prime. So I think you're going to see the Raiders' defense improve over there, as as Bob listed there in the piece. You know, they finished 25 in total yards. I think you're going to see them at least improve to more middle of the pack instead of bottom third
1: this year. Yeah, I think the guy you're thinking of is DJ Hayden, the no, quarterback they no, missed no, on? No, 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 that's the corner. Um, you want a safety? Carl Joseph, Carl Joseph, that's who it was. Yeah, he was a first-rounder too, though, so he has that potential. Uh Lamarcus Joyner, he was he was good with the Rams. Garyon Conley has been a consistent player for them. Uh, not a lot of people have seen that. And you and I both liked Abrams' prospects. In the mock draft we did, Chad, the, the war room draft, he was a second-round pick on our board. Mm, we wanted the Broncos to go after him, so yeah. that was a good pickup for the Raiders' defense. And if Gruden has a plan, and, and taking Farrell was controversial, but if it all comes together, he's going to be praised for it. No one's going to remember the players that he passed on. It's going to be interesting to see how it
0: shakes out. But, uh, yeah, great article from Bob here. I would encourage all of you. This one is open to everyone to read for now. It's probably going to end up being VIP here soon. So if you want to read what Bob had to say about the— The rest of the teams on the schedule, which include the Texans, Colts, basically all the AFC South, all the NFC North, and a couple other teams. Go check out that article. We'll put the link in the description here on this episode of the podcast. But that's going to do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow for the VIP mailbag, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad N. Jensen. And uh, Saturday, of course, there will also be a fresh episode of Building the Broncos, but we'll talk more about that tomorrow. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.